Well, be careful what you ask for. I think the first time there was 12 of you I, I spoke, Ricky asked me how it went. I was like, in a text form. He couldn't hear my tone, but I was like, it went okay, but there were 12 there. He's like, that's a great number after being a home church. He's used to 12 and less, um, and half of the 12 was my family. So um, now there's all of you, so it's humbling. Um, this is a unique Sunday morning for Cross Life in that we are not currently in a book study within the Bible. So when Ricky proposed that I prepare for today a few weeks back, I on one hand felt like I was being pitched a softball. I can do whatever I want. Approach like everyone's favorite topic, tithing. But quickly I felt, on the other hand, the weight and the disservice it would be to cross life, to not connect in some way with where we have been studying in Malachi and just last week Easter celebration into where we are going next week in First Timothy. With, that conversation, with the conversations that followed with Ricky, I received validation and a peace at what to share with you this morning. Each week and day we celebrate Resurrection Sunday as believers in Jesus Christ. But last Sunday, in observance of Easter, we read from Scripture just briefly how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament festivals. Those instructed to the Israelites to carry out from God the Father. Before his death, Jesus' followers hung on every word he said. Seeing him alive again, how much more would his words have an impact and influence on their lives? One can imagine the awe and wonder in their thoughts and actions as they began to connect the dots of what his words meant and how it connected to the religion of their youth and Old Testament scripture. As the veil was torn from the top to bottom in the temple when Christ died, so were the veils torn from their eyes to reveal the meaning of Christ's teachings. So what did Christ have to say to them after being resurrected? The four Gospels and Acts record their own versions, but all five books together bring clarity and continuity to his message. So turn to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Verse 16, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you have been in a church that is mission-minded in the last 10 years or so, this verse is not new to you. In fact, you may be even weary of it. If you are new to the Christian faith, this can be confusing. Go and make disciples of all nations. What does that even mean? Did Jesus Christ all of a sudden go rogue, take a detour from what the Father instructed or planned for him? After all, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. John chapter 5, verse 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. 
For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. So where did Jesus get this command, this commission for his followers? Does it really go along with what the Father wants done? Well, let's find out. And we can turn to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Now, I've done my best to continue to go right chronologically in your Bibles if you want to follow along. However, I have quite a few references that it may be a struggle to keep up. So if you're one that would rather just take notes of my references and enjoy the message, I would encourage you to do so. You go forward at your own risk. <laughs> Verse 28, chapter 1, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, subdue it. And what? That's an interesting command right there from God to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Hmm, why wouldn't God just want the garden filled? Why the earth? Well, God knew as Adam and Eve grew, their family not only would grow in number, but it would also grow spiritually. It's hard to imagine in our world today an actual place like that where everyone worshiped God. But that's what God had intended. And Adam and Eve did for a time. But as we know in chapter 3, sin crept in, and a few chapters later, the world was simply not good. That by chapter 8, God had to intervene a second time and flood the earth. Chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Well, there it is again. Don't just build a city. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. So does the earth get filled? After we get a rundown of Noah's descendants, we hit chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain to the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. They said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into the heaven, and let us make for, for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. Wait! A city for ourselves? Make a name for ourselves? A desire to not be scattered and over the earth? Again, man is being disobedient to God's command. And again, God is forced to step in. What does he do? Well, verse 7 through 8. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. But now how is God going to reach everyone? Now that they are scattered and speaking different languages, is God's, jeopardy in, is God's plan in jeopardy? It took us 11 chapters to cover roughly 2,000 years, and the next 14 chapters is focused on one man who becomes a nation. In chapter 10, we read 70 nations, and God chose one of them to reach 
all of them. God was not favoring Israel or a man just to reject the other nations. But his intent was to use Israel as the very means of blessing all of them. A minority called to serve the majority. To be mediators. To be God's priests. Genesis chapter 12. Verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation I will, and I will bless you and I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Hey, Abram, I know you got a good thing going on here, but I'm going to ask you to leave. Leave your family, home, your job, your favorite coffee shop. Leave your favorite sheep behind and go. Just start walking. The end of the verse one says, to the land which I will show you. Abram didn't even know where he was going. And then it really gets hard to understand. Verse four. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. He left. Abram obeyed. 75 years old, and he ups and leaves. As I heard someone put it several years back, life's interruptions are about to be God's invitations. God promises Abram that a descendant of his would bring salvation to the entire world. Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. But God's command and promises of blessing, Abram and others through him, doesn't stop with Abram. God spoke to his son Isaac in Genesis 26, chapter 26, verse 4. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and will give your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. To Isaac's son, Jacob, in Genesis 28, verse 14. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, before we go further, let me explain the word blessed being used here. The English word doesn't bring out the correct explanation. Blessed, as in when Isaac blessed Jacob and not Esau, is not blessings, but a blessing. He was transferring the family name, responsibility, obligation, and privilege. This wasn't a superpower that God gave. It is something you become in a permanent relationship and fellowship with your Father in heaven. This was part of God's plan to bring back the nations to himself. Another example for me, when kings and queens were crowned in Scotland, 
for years, the head of the family clan would travel to Perth, Scotland in the middle of the country. This is where Macbeth and Robert the Bruce and others would have been crowned in an outside parliament. They would bring dirt, these clans would bring dirt from their plot of land and declare their allegiance to the newly crowned standing on their soil that they brought. There's a rise in the land or a mound called Moot Hill or Boot Hill due to this ceremony over centuries. Now the entire clan or family wouldn't travel. That would be quite the undertaking. But, but for example, my dad would go and represent the family. If my dad was unable, my oldest brother would go. So when God imparts on Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, he's saying, you will be my representatives. God continues to use Israel in the Old Testament to make his name great. Ex Exodus chapter 9, verse 16. Speaking through Moses to Pharaoh now in the midst of unleashing the plagues. But indeed, for this reason, I have allowed you to remain in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. The Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy 4, verse 6. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Did you hear that? In the sight of the peoples. The Ten Commandments were a reflection of who God is. That when Israel executed them, the nations watching will see and know God through them. The nation went into Egypt as 70 individuals and came out as around 1.5 million, according to scholars. It's no wonder God's reputation grew after the parting of the Red Sea. That's a quite a large mass of people wandering around in the wilderness for years. You ever find it interesting how God chose to settle Israel in the promised land, geographically in the middle of all these superpowers of that time? Egypt, Babylon, Persia, where the only land access to get to one another was through Israel. Water on one side and a desert on the other. These nations would have to interact with Israel. Joshua chapter 4, verse 24. When God parted the Jordan so that Israel could pass on dry land. 24. That all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. All the peoples. 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 45 through 47. David walking out to meet Goliath on the battlefield with just a sling and a stone. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 1 Kings chapter 3, we read how uh, Solomon prayed for wisdom to lead God's people. And by chapter 4, 
it says, Men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon, from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Solomon remembered his father's David's words while on David's death's door. On death's door, David spoke through the law of Moses, saying in 1 Kings chapter 2, I am going, well, not chapter 2, but 1 Kings, I am going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies, according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and whatever you turn, so that the Lord may carry out his promise, which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons are careful of their way to walk before me in truth, with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne. Well, Solomon saw discipleship right there. It may have come last minute on David's deathbed, but that's why Solomon prayed for wisdom. Once the temple was built under Solomon's reign, Solomon, Solomon dedicated the temple not just for the Jewish nation. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 41. Also concerning the foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, when he comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays towards this house here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name to fear you and do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house which I have built is called by your name. Even the Psalms. We read Psalm 67 earlier. How about Psalm 46, verse 10? Cease striving and know that I am God. A uh, more popular, popular translation is, Be still and know that I am God. Thank you, Stephen Curtis Chapman, for helping us not remember the second part of that same verse. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It's a beautiful song. I have liked it, but it's missing God's plan. The second part of that verse implies action. The major prophets, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. He says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Daniel chapter 3, verse 29. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego after the fiery furnace. Therefore I, Nebuchadnezzar, not a Jew, make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speak anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to rubbish heap inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Daniel in the lion's den. Chapter, Daniel chapter 6, verse 26. I, Darius, 
not a Jew, make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed and his dominion will be forever. Even the minor prophets, you should remember this one, Malachi chapter 1, verse 11. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered in my, to my name and a grain of offering that is pure. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Israel gave us a 2,000-year history lesson on how not to worship God. God kept reminding them time and time again that he was to be made known to all people and worshiped by all people. He used any means necessary, Jews and non-Jews, men, women, kings, slaves, even a donkey. Enter Jesus, God in the flesh. Jesus continues his father's work. Before his ministry began, when his parents presented Jesus at the temple, there was a man named Simon who was strong in the faith. And he says in Luke chapter 2, verse 29, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, some versions may have nations there. And the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee of the Gentiles, where there were obviously many Jews who lived there, but it was predominantly a Gentile area. In Mark chapter 11, verse 17, Jesus clears the temple on seeing the money changers making profit off of pilgrims and says, it is not written, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a robber's den. In John chapter 4, verses 1 and following, we have the story of Jesus entering and travels through a forbidden land for Jews and going into Samaria to speak to a woman, which ends up in the most of the town worshiping Jesus. He healed Gentiles on multiple occasions, had many other interactions with Gentiles while ministering with the disciples. Jesus was constantly showing them and telling them that what he offers was not just for them or for just the Jews. So let's come back to after the resurrection and some of the interactions Jesus had and said while with his followers in the remaining days. Now, keep in mind, these would have been the last few words Jesus would have said to them. If you have lost a loved one, no matter how long ago, you probably remember the last things you either did or said with them. For me, in a matter of around two years, I lost the patriarch on one side of my family and a matriarch on the other. My grandpa wrote his last message for me. He was excited for me because with the help of my dad, I bought my first vehicle. This is a silly story. I bought my first vehicle, and he was excited. 
due, due to the tubes in his mouth, he had to write down, tell Jared to remember to change the oil. <laughs> On the other side, Grandma, with family all around her bed, wanted to recite the Lord's Prayer. Jesus knew he would be leaving to go sit at the right hand of God the Father. Soon, so, so Jesus' words would be most direct and important to him as to instruct and drive in his message to those who were listening. Those who heard Jesus' last words would remember. From the cross to Christ's ascension is 40 days. We get this from Acts chapter 1, verse 1 verse through 3. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles who he had chosen. To these he also represented himself alive after his suffering, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So the Matthew uh, chapter 28 account is credited for being said within eight to ten days removed from the resurrection. And I'll read it again. Verse 16, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I think the Western cultured churches have honed in on a, and focused too much on the teaching them part of that and have forgotten how much Jesus had to show his followers what to do. We like the teaching idea because it's a limited time and can be at our discretion. But that's not what, how Jesus modeled it. According to William Glasser, most learn 10% of what we read. Most learn and retain 10% of what we read. 20% of what we hear. 30% of what we see 50% of what we see and hear, 70% of what we discuss, 80% of what is experienced personally, 95% of what we teach someone else. We need to stop teaching and start showing how to make disciples. Mark Chapter 16, verse 20. Jesus speaks to the eleven disciples as they were reclining at a table. As we learned last week, God and Jesus love meals and says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49 is said in Jerusalem to more than the eleven disciples. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, 
that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their eyes to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And last, John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. We have five commissioning statements three different locations. How important was it for Jesus to get his point across? How many times did Jesus have to say it? You know, lately, due to the age of my son and the distractions he encounters, I've been saying to him, when necessary, delayed obedience is still disobedience. Jesus did, however, make a change from what we read in the Old Testament. Not only did he come to give the Great Commission, but he also, in a sense, to take it away. Romans chapter 11, verse 13 through 24. I'll be staying in verses 19 through 22. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. <laughs> Thank you, God. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold, then, the kindness and severity of God to those who fell. Severity, but to you. God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. We, Gentiles, have been invited in to participate in God's plan to be known. The natural branches have been broken and we have been grafted in. It is no longer Israel's. Brother Tommy Nelson of Denton Bible said it in a modern context. Israel had the football, the message from God, and they punted it. Christ's church his bride has the football now. Jesus didn't go off script of the Father's plan. The entire Bible is telling his representatives to go. It's, just, it's not just a fad. You have been hearing in recent years as God has wooed you closer to himself. It's not just a New Testament thing. He's not the God of and just for a Jewish nation but for all nations. It's what God has designed for you to participate with him in his promise. William Carey lived from 1761 to 1834. He was an English missionary that took the gospel everywhere he traveled, but was credited for laying the groundwork in India. Known as the father of modern missions, he is quoted as saying, I'm not afraid of failure, I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. 
In a recent article by Greek scholar Robert Wells, he writes, the command in Matthew 28 is actually a call for peoples to go and make disciples of all nations. The main verb in the sentence is indeed make disciples, but it is not an isolated verb, nor is it intended to be emphasized to the exclusion of the other important details in the command, baptize and teach. This he writes to counter the recent teaching of this phrase that it's an as-you-go approach or way about making disciples. This idea, in fact, waters down the intention. While in fact good, any pastor or elder would encourage that way of lifestyle, yet it misses the fact in the command itself that Jesus is saying what we do have to get up and move. From Genesis to Revelation, God shows us his plan to bring all peoples together to worship him. The Gospels and Acts record how this is going to happen. And when Jesus gave his command in Matthew, he alluded to Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, and was in effect saying, The Son of Man has received his dominion as prophesied, and therefore it's time for the ingathering of the nations to begin as prophesied. So go out there and get them. The word for go in Greek is something called a participle of attendant circumstances, which means it takes the full force of the imperative, the command, that follows, make disciples. The command is clear. Go. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world, is a promise that when we go, and do these things, we will feel his presence. He will be with us. So let's go back to Scotland for a minute. That's a trip that my wife and I got to take uh, 12 years ago or so. That's a real place, Moot Hill. I'm Scottish, so I was living it. I, was, I wish I had a kilt on the whole time I was there. I almost bought a kilt. We have plaid. Uh, we have our own colors. Uh, we were lowlanders, not highlanders, which means we fought the, my family would have fought the English quite a bit. So on the way back, uh, flying in the plane, Brooke and I did not have uh, seats together, and um, my screen, my TV screen didn't work. Remember, uh, life's interruptions are about to be God's invitations. In my frustration, I would try to peek. Brooke was right in front of me. I'd try to peek, see what she was watching. I'd doze off. I'd come to, and I'd be reflecting on the trip. It was a trip of a lifetime. I'd go back if uh, the Lord allowed. But So the Moot Hill, uh, if we were on a stage, it was probably two steps uh, that came up. And I was just in the moment reflecting back, oh my gosh, how awesome would that be to just have a sword be coming through all uh, days like this? I mean, Scotland, right? And long, I had my long hair, long beard. I mean, it was Braveheart. I was living it. And man, how awesome would that be to come, bring your dirt in a, I don't know, in a sack and whatever they had, and probably not a jar, but come up 
as the king or queen was crowned, throw the dirt from my land to stand on, to pledge allegiance to the new king. Man, how to get rally behind something like that. I wanted that. I'm here. I felt like such a fool. I heard God's voice. I was, I do, I do have that. I'm not much like the Israelites. I forget. We should rally behind the God of the Bible. I stand before you this morning, not as one that has figured it out, but what I do know is that nowhere does it give the option out button or easy button for that matter. Nowhere does it say, wait until the kids are grown or when you have time or when I make enough money, I'll promise I'll give more to missions. I used to think I don't need to do blank. I used to think I don't need to go on missions, share the gospel. You know, the professional pastor work stuff. I wasn't called. Literally, the Christianese talk. Since I didn't hear a voice, what we went over today blows up that thought. When you and I accepted Christ as our Savior, it now is commanded of me, of us. It's a charge. I've per pursued missions several times in the last eight years. The Lord, my bride, and the dashboard know how much it has affected me thinking I've missed what I'm supposed to be doing for his kingdom. And how the enemy at the most random times brings it back in my face. The Lord, the Lord will either respond with a yes, a no, or a not yet. And I believe I've received more no's and not yet's. But as for many times as I've pursued, I have been passive much more. Man's original sin is passivity. Adam just stood there. We can't just sit here any longer. We will regret it. Cross life, we live now in a unique town. There are multiple ethnic groups living here today. God has brought the nations to this area. He has made it easy for us to reach and go. I know there's some families here that have their ministries and passions. We have come alongside a few of the organizations to help, like iReach or First Choice Pregnancy Center. This church is young. Talks are being had of short-term mission trips in the near future that would accommodate young families, but nothing set in stone. I can't help but wonder if a mission field is right in our midst that we have been missing all along. We as a church should commit this to prayer. So I challenge you as individuals in a church body to pray. Ask the Lord to show you where he is at work and he will reveal it to you. Join him when he does. For I know that God will never call you to do something that is outside of his will. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. John writes, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, 
from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's going to happen. What God promised to Abraham in Genesis was fulfilled in John's vision in Revelation. Go. Shout it. Go and scream it from the mountains. Go and tell it to the masses that he is God. 